Hello, Stitchers. Welcome to Stitch Please, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. I'm your host, Lisa Woolfork. I'm a fourth generation sewing enthusiast with more than 20 years of sewing experience. I am looking forward to today's conversation. So sit back, relax, and get ready to get your stitch together. everybody and welcome to the Stitch Please podcast. And as I say every week, this is a very special episode, especially for those of you who are lucky enough to be Patreon supporters because you are looking at, in addition to listening to, the incredible Sarah Bond and the also incredible E Bond. Now, these two women are incredible artists and powerful creatives in their own right. And yet, when you put them together, you realize that they are from an entire family of creative people. And this fabric line, E. Bond's fabric line, Glyphs, which I have found so powerfully and personally meaningful to me as a creative, as a quilter, as a sewist, and as a scholar that focuses on Black women's literature, it is, as E might say, a perfect storm for me. I feel like this has been like a fulfillment of my dream and I didn't do anything. So I am delighted to welcome the cousins, Bond, E. Bond and Sarah Bond. Welcome to the program, everybody. Welcome. Thank Thank you. you. (laughs) That was the best. The Bond cousins come from a long line of creatives. I can also share y'all that they have been on the podcast before separately. E was on earlier this year in 2022 and Sarah was on last year in 2021. And now we get to have them both together across time zones. And with the magic of technology, you can see some amazing things. And Sarah's going to talk about some of the collaborative work the quilt blocks themselves that have been created based on this line of fabrics. But can you talk a bit about what it means to come from such a powerful creative inheritance through some of your common ancestors? And I think a lot about Luvinia being that common ancestor that helped you all to get on this path in some way. So can you talk a little bit about that? My great grandmother, who is also E's great-great-grandmother was Luvinia Clarkson-Cleckley. And for people who are on Patreon, here's a picture of Luvinia. And Luvinia was born in 1858. So she was born an enslaved person and she made quilts. You know, I told some of the stories about her quilts, but by happenstance, my father ended up with maybe all of the quilts, but certainly a lot of the quilts. Sometime in my college career, I decided to make quilts. And I didn't really know about Lavinia and all the quilts that she had made, but I started making these quilts. And then I later on learned a little bit more about her and about her history and family history. And I sort of felt like I was kind of channeling Lavinia. I really do believe that. I believe that she is talking to me. And especially in the last like four or five years, I've been working a lot of her, just working in a series based on some of the quilts that I have that I know that she made. You know, E and I have known each other for a long time. And we've been talking about collaboration 
for years, but we have never actually gotten around to doing it. And so this is just the perfect, perfect opportunity to glory in that creation because, you know, we makers, we just, that's what we want to do. When I think about family legacy or like who's the, the keeper of the stories, I always think of Sarah. I never get the story right. You know, so I always have to think, I'm like, Sarah will know, like, you know, who belonged to who and who did what, you know, like she's the keeper of all that. So we both lived in Philly together. I mean, you know, like at the same time, I lived there for like 20 years. So I didn't really start to know about the quilts, the actual quilts or Luvinia and all of that until I moved to Philadelphia and got to know Sarah. So I moved there, you know, when I was about 18 to go to art school. So that's kind of when I got to start to understand, oh, okay, because I knew Sarah was quilting, but I didn't know that it came from us from far back. And we then started talking, the more I got into, well, of course I was in art school, so I was already an artist, but I knew that who knew what that was going to kind of manifest into when you're 18. But as I got older, we just kept saying, well, we got to do something together. We've got to do something together. And we just never, it just, you know how it is. It just never happened until now. And now we're just like every other week on Zoom. Now I live 3,000 miles away, but we're collaborating. (laughs) That's funny, isn't it? It is. We were like literally 15 minutes away for 20 years and then (laughs) nothing. And then now, now we're doing it all, but it's great. I really appreciate how your formal training as an artist, E, was able to be enhanced by the genealogical stories that Sarah was holding. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you were studying art and certain like formal techniques, but Sarah was able to fill in the gaps about how some of the things that you were learning might relate to or just be a canvas for the whole story that was already there. Right. And it's also that feeling of kind of like what Sarah was saying when she stumbled into quilts and didn't realize there was this whole legacy behind her, like probably nudging her that way, even though she didn't know, you know, it's that same thing of, you know, you're this thing, you know, you're an artist, you know, this is what you're supposed to be doing just kind of inherently. But then you learn all maybe the reasons why after the fact. Like you said, it's filling in the holes of something that you already knew to be true. The thing that I also appreciate about Sarah, something that I learned about you, Sarah, from one of your former students, I'm a big fan of paper piecing. I love paper piecing. It's one of my favorite things. I love the accuracy. Sometimes quiet is kept. I don't even mind tearing off all the paper. I find that like a little ASMR to kind of just get that going. It's a little messy. (laughs) That stressed me out. But Someone was saying that you were the best paper piecing teacher she had ever had and that you had some techniques in particular that kind of could circumvent that frustration that happens when you're paper piecing and you've stitched your fabric and you flipped it and it's just not enough and you have to take it out and start over and (laughs) and you hate paper piecing for the rest of your life. And so you, Sarah, have come up with lots of wonderful formal techniques for quilting, lots of formal patterns, designs, and habits of mind of practice for quilting. Do you connect that in any way to your creative legacy? Could you imagine this as some of the patterns and some of the designs that you're working through could be like in dialogue or in conversation with your larger legacy? I have always felt as though quilt design and fabric placement, even if 
you know, because that's design. Even if you're using someone else's pattern, fabric placement is still a large part of design. Yeah. And I feel like on a quilt, that's always what it is. It's a conversation. It's a conversation between the different fabrics, the different colors that you have going on on a quilt. As to any really innovative techniques, I don't know if they're that innovative. I know that I learned to paper piece sort of in a room by myself. And then I came out of the room and I found out that other people were doing these things differently. And there were a lot of these, you know, very careful trimming techniques and a lot of anxiety about this, that, and the other thing. And really, I think mostly when I'm teaching paper piecing, mostly I'm just trying to say, you know, this is just a tool. This is just something so that we can get those nice points. We can get those nice sharp edges. We can get everything lined up and we don't have to cut and sew as carefully as if we were trying to sew these little pieces together in this way. I mean, mostly I think it's just I try to tell people, you know, just relax. This is not rocket science, whatever. I mean, I don't mean to denigrate, you know, our craft because it's a marvelous craft, but just removing some of that anxiety from the whole process. I do pre-cut my pieces and I do paper piece a little bit differently than a lot of folks. I, I go from the side where the design is on and I just slide it underneath and anchor it at one end with the needle in the machine. And then I can lift it up and line it up after it's already set up because people get so worried about whether it's lined up properly or whether, and it just, it does get a little bit anxiety inducing. My best friend is my seam ripper. I rip all the time, all the time. Now, some people who've been quilting for 40 years don't make those mistakes anymore. I make them all the time. I make them when I'm teaching. So it's like, you guys just get used to this as part of the process. And then you don't have to be so anxious. That's right. I love that unsewing is also can be a component of sewing and it's not a punishment. Hmm. And it's not a judgment. <laughs> and it's sometimes it can be very difficult for joy and anxiety to coexist. And so what the way that I'm thinking about it is that you are introducing joy into the process and reminding people that, hey, what we are doing is powerful. It's engaging. It's a really important, you know, in my mind, at least um, historical and very rich and life affirming cultural practice. And yet you can do it and smile. Then if you make a mistake, guess what? You can unmake that mistake. Actually, it's even easier to recover from your mistakes in quilting than in almost anything else. Rip it out and resew it. It's no big deal. <laughs> no big deal. This is why we get along so well, Lisa, because that is my same theory on art making. It's just like, it's not that deep. Everybody just take a breath. <laughs> and you learn the most from the mistakes anyway. So like, why are we like trying not to have them? I don't get it. You learn the most from the mistakes. I So like to not have them just feels like a waste of so much like knowledge, you know? Like when it goes perfectly the whole way through, I mean, that's okay, I guess. But like, I just always have piles of like the off cuts or the things that didn't make the cut because those are like super cool and they'll be used for something else. I recently worked on a project for my class and I was printing some words on fabric for the students to stitch on. We we were practicing redaction. And so I, would, I have a teaching partner who's a wonderful artist, Tobia Munch. She's really great. And so I was printing them using my sublimation printer and some of them got blurred. 
And I was like, oh no, these are blurry. Uh, we can't use these. And she was like, these are the best ones. They're perfect. I was going to say blurry, like blurry words. That sounds fantastic. And, and the <laughs> words were from the Declaration of Independence. That's perfect. What is more fuzzy than American <laughs> democracy? I'd be like, yes. <laughs> oh, that's great. Make some more of those. I was at a lecture yesterday, a great discussion about a wonderful book that I've been teaching and really love. And I interviewed the author, Jocelyn Johnson. The name of the book is My Monticello. And it's a collection of short stories and a novella all set in Virginia. And that title story is set in um, Charlottesville, right here where Jocelyn and I both live. She was talking about fiction writing as a way to study history or to kind of assess the crises of our time. And she said, fiction is the lie that tells the truth. 100%. (laughs) It's so true. And I was thinking about that through the lens of art. And how can we think about the visual arts, think about quilt making, pattern designing, pattern placement? How can we think about those aspects, those creative, imaginative aspects that are things that we generate and build from our own rich consciousness, experience, study, history, heritage? How can that very subjective story also illustrates some profound truths that you might not be able to find anywhere else. I was just thinking through that as an idea. Do y'all have any thoughts on that? What do you think? When you said that to me, Lisa, I immediately thought of the specific is the global, you know, like, like the more specific you can make something, especially in writing, especially in art, the more it is exactly your story, the more it becomes the universal. So to me, that's exactly what she's, you know, it's like, it's weird. It seems like it would be counterintuitive, but it really is always true. You know, like you can find yourself in someone's very specific story, almost more than when someone tries to make the story fit everyone. And that there's something about drilling down into that, which is that kind of hits the deep core of who we are and what it means to kind of understand our place in the world. and. How do we manage or navigate these crises or things that, like that seem not to, to make sense? And yet we can put the answer or our answer to that question into an art object, into an art piece, into a design, into a pattern. And when someone looks at it, it strikes something in them in the same way that it was meaningful for you when you were creating it. Half of the reason I think we make things, one, is to kind of explain it to ourselves, but two is then to somehow maybe find some kinship in someone else (laughs) in that same feeling. Mm -hmm. And you're lucky when someone can at least express it back to you and say, oh, yes, I feel that too. That's the bonus part. But just the actually explaining it to yourself part is a huge part of it, (laughs) at least for me. Sarah, did you find the quilt? I did. I'm just going to tell a little bit about it first. So I did not set out to make a statement quilt with this quilt. I was playing with a classic design, the New York Beauty. I was sort of in the middle of this stage where I've been playing with neutrals and grayscale. And all of a sudden, as I was working, it turned into a statement on liberty and freedom and the subjective nature of that. Many people want to tell you when you're telling a story of 
lack of freedom or lack of liberty or unbalanced justice. Let's pivot to talk about the fabric. This is Glyphs, G-L-Y-P-H-S. We had a whole episode on it a few months ago. I am just absolutely in love with the fabric. I've got my pile here. That Free Spirit Fabrics was generous enough to donate to my course that I'm teaching where the fabric is featured in the course. I'm actually doing a talk as part of a residency at the University of Puget Sound talking about quilting, creativity, liberation, et cetera, et cetera. So the fabrics are going to be traveling with me there. It's just been a delight, an utter delight. I have reveled in these fabrics and I feel like I'm just getting started because I just got my hands on them. And if you are a Patreon supporter, um, Sarah Bond has turned on her document camera so that you get to see these gorgeous fabrics for yourself. So E, can you talk a little bit about how this creativity, like these patterns that you've designed, this is a line, everybody, of 16 fabrics based on and named for Black women writers. And so I am all into it. I am here for it and into it. So can you talk a little bit about what the glyph process was like in terms of building these pieces out? For me, I mean, I probably talked a lot about my naivete and my newness to the quilt world in the last episode as well. You know, so I'm new to the quilt world and to fabric, but of course not to art. So I kind of approached it, I guess maybe the way an outsider would approach a fabric line in that I wasn't really thinking about what the end product was, but more about the process. And I think for me though, if I'm honest, that's kind of the way I approach everything. Like I'm usually not thinking about the end product because I'm more of a, just a process-based person. So I, I kind of like to give myself assignments. This was to me a drawing assignment. This was a, um, an experiment in drawing. It was based in language because I just had a lot of questions about language. I mean, for, for years and years, but this was just another place to play out some of those questions and think about language in almost like pre-language, even before language, before what we would think of as language as humans, like what might the beginning of a language have looked like? What might it encompass? What could it hold in terms of meaning, but also just in in the forms, in the actual visual forms? So that's how that all really started. And again, just like we were talking about previously, that's the wide thought, right? But the small thought, not small in, in meaning in any way, but the thought that was closest to me was, well, then how did language affect me? Because again, it's like, I'm the maker. I'm the person who is interested in this question. So it has to come from me. So when I'm thinking about who were the people who taught me what language could hold, who were the people who taught me the huge capacity for the beauty of language, then it came to these women. And what I appreciate about what you've described is that it also seems a wonderful introduction to the collaborative work that you and Sarah are doing. Yeah. When you're talking about the capacity for meaning or beauty and how that works in language, you were able to transform that into designs that then are now on fabric, which is the basis for another form of creativity. I think, like, hopefully they just were openings, you know, like they're just doors. I just have, you know, made things that then someone else can go and 
find their own questions and thoughts and and all the things. And of course, knowing Sarah and working closely with Sarah, when she starts to talk about it, I'm blown away because again, that's someone else who's now walked through the door and now she's you know taking all these different things from it and probably opening up a bunch of other thoughts for you know other people. For me, it's especially exciting because you're not a quilter. This is not ordinary quilting cotton. This is a whole different scale and it just opens up so much more possibility because it's not made for quilting. So you have to bend a little bit. And that's when magic happens. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that because yeah, like I always look at the possibility of being the outsider in something as an opportunity, you know, like I don't see it as a a bad thing at all. I'm always like super jazzed for like someone to to, um, ask me to do a project I know nothing about. I'm just glad too that then the the people on the other side of this who are receiving it might still be able to use it. <laughs> and what I'm looking at right now is again, Patreon people, you're welcome. But Sarah has put down this gorgeous quilt block that has two of my favorites on it. It has Gwendolyn and yeah. it has Zora. Well, it is really hard for me to say what my favorite pieces are, but this <laughs> Zora for sure is absolutely one of them. Just to try to describe it. It has ledger paper underneath, really like deep as the background. And then these gorgeous circles and these bounding marks. And it's just so alive. It's so Zora. It really is. When you think about, for me, not just the the line paper, like to write script, but also some of the ledgers to think about her work as an anthropologist and as a cultural worker, as a writer, as a playwright. As just a figure, I always go back to the thing that one that her at least the way that Zora told the story that her mother kind of taught her to jump at the sun. She wanted her to have this joy in her life that yes, she is a black girl born in a time of a lot of racism, yet there's so much fullness in her life. That is what I see in this actual fabric. Hey friends, hey. What are you doing on Thursday around 3 p.m. or so? You got 30 minutes to hang out with Black Women Stitch? You got 60? If so, come through for 30-Minute Thursdays. Thursdays, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can chill with Black Women Stitch on Instagram Live or talk with us through the two-way audio on Clubhouse at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's Thursdays for 30 minutes. Come hang out, chill, and have fun with us. See you Thursday. Sarah, tell us about the block. That is gorgeous. Going back to what we said before about fabric placement and designing for fabric, you know, I feel like any quilt block or any whole quilt, even if it's not block-based, it's about a conversation between the fabrics. And that's why a lot of my designs, I really like these points, which is why there's a lot of paper piecing in what I do, because the eye can experience these two fabrics in different ways. So you experience it differently if the eye is running down the curve and that curve is there to draw your eye, right? And then you experience it differently where you just get this little bit peek in here, you know, of this darker fabric. And then again, here we have the eye drawing that curve and then this conversation between these two prints. You know, I had a really good time with it. I'll switch back so you can see the larger quilt that's on the design wall. 
I had such a great time just playing with all these different fabrics. You can see, I can't quite get yes, all of them. I can see it really well. Yeah. That looks great. Yeah. That's so good. I'm not the kind of a designer who spends 20 hours thinking about stuff. I just jump in, right? Yeah, you totally, I love that. Because you would just send pictures and, you know, you're like just cutting stuff up. Yeah, I can't do that, you know, well, qualities of this fabric. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't do it. So I just would grab two fabrics and two solids and play with them. I love that contrast. I love the way that you have the sharpness of the points and the roundness, the wholeness, the smoothness of the circle. Yeah. Can you talk about that in the context of the conversation between fabrics? I feel like it's this interesting combination between sharpness and softness. Are they in conversation? Are they in conflict? Do they play off of each other that the sharpness is more sharp because of the curve? The curve is that much more. I'm going to say yes. So all of those things are happening. And I don't know before I put a whole quilt together. So, you know, we have the conversations that's going on within the circle and inside this circle, that's one view. Maybe that's one. So I'm calling this block word of mouth. I love that name. I put this in my application for teaching at QuiltCons. So anyway, you've got this one conversation, right, that's going on within this circle. And those are the conversations between these fabrics that are next to each other here vertically. And then there's this conversation going on across here between these two fabrics, between these two fabrics. And then when we take it up to the mega level, I guess, then you've got a conversation that is going on across. So going on across here, right? And it's going on jumping from pair, fabric pair, fabric group to fabric group. And, you know, depending on maybe your eye is going to take, going to run on this diagonal and there's a conversation going on there. There's a conversation that's going to happen between these circles and then the background. I haven't finished all the thoughts on that, but there's all this interaction that's going on. I'm sorry. And it's all part of that, you know, sort of beautiful creative cacophony that is so, so much art and it's so human. And that's what I like about it. And to me, it's just like the perfect kind of manifestation of, you know, how language actually works in life, in real life, you know, when conversations are happening. And, you know, like, so when I'm looking across these lines and I'm seeing like some areas are really, really busy. And like you said, like are loud, you know, like when people are talking over one another, and then there are these, these sections where it looks like one person has stopped so that the other person is talking, you know, and there are these moments, you know, to, to me, the solids are like some silence and the, the patterns are, are the noise. And you know what else I was thinking of when you said word of mouth, I was thinking of oral history and the way that oral history, there's, for example, there's a project at Monticello, um, which is Jefferson's plantation here in Charlottesville called Getting Word. And this is an oral history project of descendants of enslaved people at Monticello. And what they do is talk about the experience of the enslaved, um, tracing. There's there's families here in town that can trace their roots back to enslavement at Monticello, as well as enslavement in other places here in this in this community. And so the idea of word of mouth as a form of history building documentation, the idea that not everybody has recourse to an archive, 
right? That, you know, an archive that's maintained by the masters, the archive that's maintained by those who are seen as the fathers of the nation, right? A lot of folks aren't going to find their names listed there, but everybody has a family with stories. And this idea that we can, through word of mouth, maintain and build these stories, that we can pass these on, that we can hear a story and create an image. We can hear a story and make a quilt. We can hear a story and create a whole design path. This is what word of mouth can do. And actually, without the word of mouth, what is language? It doesn't start on paper. It It starts in the body. It grows so far to even get to paper, you know, like for someone to start to record it. And something that I think about a lot is if we only say that the written word is, and again, this is what we are talking about with language and literature and literacy, but yeah. the written word is one way. It's just one way. Yeah. It is one way. And it is intimately tied to the written. And that sometimes people will share things that are not in historical records. And that's why it's so important, I think, as, as you all have already done, to recognize, document, and preserve family stories. Because these are the substance of our lives. These are the substance of who we are as folks and how we become the people we are and also how we can pass these on so that we leave records behind of things that had not yet been recorded. So I love the word of mouth. I think that is really stunning. And it has so many applications that are so powerful. When I look at it, it's almost like a room full of people with these conversations and these stories that you're talking about. And depending on which place you land, it's almost that's that freeze frame of what would happen if you wrote it down. But there's still all this other stuff going on. And, you know, 95 percent of it never gets written down. Right. But just those little freeze frames where you actually get something that's visual from it. Absolutely. And one of the things that the images do, I know we're talking, I know you talked about the large scale of the patterns. I think that there's a great potential for these patterns for apparel making as well. I think I've already identified at least one jumpsuit and one dress and one blouse that I know I want to learn. I have made garments, but I'm not strictly a garment maker and I'm not plugged into this kind of group intelligence. Can you share some? Can you do that? Absolutely. So I'm looking at this one, the Zora, which I absolutely love. And my plan for this one is a dress called, I think it's called the, it's, it's, I I was going to make it for my backup Easter dress. It's called the Valerie. I'll put links in the episode so you can, you can kind of go to it. The reason I like it for this is I like that dress is a raglan sleeve bodice, which is pretty easy. A raglan sleeve bodice with a couple of darts for shaping at the front. And then a center zip in the back with a circle skirt. Oh, nice. And what I like about that is it gives a lot of space for this fabric to play, right? And so when I cut the circle skirt out, it'll be bouncing, 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 but at the side, it'll be on the bias. And so it makes for a really cute set of movement. And I love that you're thinking about the movement already. And that's what a circle skirt can do. A circle skirt is a lot of fun because the way that it builds, for me at least, the reason that I like it is I love the silhouette. Ever since I was a kid, I have always liked like a t-shirt type bodice with a flare out skirt. I just, I've always enjoyed that. I find it easy to wear. 
It's fun to have a little thing you can twirl around in. So that is what I was thinking for the Zora. And then for, I think this is Tony. I just guessed it and knew I got the right guy. You knew, you knew. For the Tony, I was thinking about, there's a pattern called the Adrian Blouse. The reason I'm so enamored with this pattern is that I did an interview with Jacqueline Woodson. Um, the, the writer who is amazingly wonderful. She was on, it was an online festival of the book event. She and I had like an hour long conversation. It was amazing. And I made the Adrian blouse to wear for that event. And so it's just like, it's a button up shirt with a sleeve. It's not raglan exactly, but it's similar. It has like a little bit of a dart at the shoulder. And I love the way it kind of can show the fullness of the pattern but it looks really good, both belted or unbelted. And it's more like, it's more like a dress shirt um, that's straight up and down. So you can belt it, but I tend to just wear it out or you can just wear it as a blouse. But I tend to like to lengthen these things to dresses because I enjoy dresses. And then for this one, I really love the mustardness of it and the way that the pattern is running the long way down parallel to the cell. And this is the Nella Larson. And I thought this would make an amazing Zadie jumpsuit. The Zadie jumpsuit is a really easy to wear jumpsuit with a, a wide leg, not flared, but a wide leg. It's crossbody. It wraps around and ties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It can be a short sleeve or a long sleeve. I've only made short sleeve. It also requires bias binding around the neckline. And so that bias binding is a great opportunity to do this dialogue, right? So if I were to do this one with this, I could imagine binding it with the Phyllis. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. Because the Phyllis is so small scale. Yeah. To put those together, just a little tiny peak. Yeah, just a little bit. A yeah, little yeah. Peak of that for, let's see if I, it would probably look like this, right? So just... This is mostly it right here, but then you get a little tiny peek of that. Right. I love that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so those are the things, those are the garment recommendations that I've been thinking because I absolutely plan on wearing this places. I just have to get, I have to wait until I can get some more to have garment length. I always tend to get, depending between three and four yards. And you know, if I want to make a jumpsuit, I'll say three. If I want to make a dress with some kind of flair, I'll say four. It all depends on how wide the fabric is. But for a 45 inch width, you're going to want to go longer to avoid having to piece to make your circle skirt big. So I've been playing around a little bit with E's next line, and I'm not going to show it all because I don't think I'm supposed to. I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, other ways to create these conversations. So here I have these solids that are talking with the fabric that she has designed. And then I have Nella, no, Lucille. Lucille, yeah. As the background on this. We're sort of going cross-generational in terms of the two lines coming out either in the fall or maybe in next spring. I'm not sure when. Yeah, we're not quite sure when that next line is coming out. I I was thinking pretty soon, like April, May for wholesalers to be able to start buying. But but we haven't heard, you know, like all the supply chain stuff's been been rough. And one of the things I love about your block, Sarah, I love how you get that, what looks like a quarter inch, those little bands. Yes, me too. What is that? Is that a straw? It's paper piecing, again, just with, this one is called Root Diamond because, <gasps> because that's the name of the next 
line. Yeah, the next collection is called Root. Oh my gosh, I am so excited. But yeah, these are just these funny little stripes. I'd love a stripe. I told E if she gets another contract that she's got to do some stripes. I will, yeah. I already told her. I'm like, I'm going <laughs> to make stripes like- just for you. I should call it like stripes for Sarah. <laughs> exactly. Sarah stripes. Sarah stripes. Sarah stripes, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, because they give you this sort of delineation. So it kind of almost punctuates the conversation, right? It really does. It's an absolute interruption. It really is. And that break between the circles and the line, the gaps in the stripes themselves, and the way it replicates the gaps in the circles. Is that the Nello you said, or is that, which one is that? That's Lucille in the background. Lucille for Lucille Clifton. I think the one that I have, the way that it's cut, the name was cut off. Oh, cut off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This was (laughs) Lucille for Lucille Clifton. We talked about, I think I, I was telling my students about Lucille Clifton. We read one of her poems reply. It's a W.B. Du Bois got this terrible letter in the mail from a scholar, allegedly. He, well, obviously a scholar. And it was so perverse. The question was, we are curious about this question. We are studying human emotion. We're studying emotion and crying as an expression of human emotion. And Dr. Du Bois, we have been told that you are competent to advise us on the Negroes. And we want to know if the Negro sheds tears. How do you have someone who is an actual alleged scholar in 1913 or 1908 or whenever they wrote this letter to Du Bois to ask if Black people cry? And so Lucille Clifton's poem is a two word. It's like, it's maybe like 20 stand, 20 lines, but they're two words. So it's like, they do, they work, they struggle. They breathe. And so like that reply is just so powerful. And the poem called Reply, but the one that I think that they were really struck by is the Starshine poem, the one that includes the line, won't you celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and fail. And so when I think about, you know, and I think about Lucille Clifton, this idea of the momentum in this fabric, the space in this fabric, the way that it's kind of pulling together that type of social and just life-affirming power. That's what I see. And for me, for Lucille, I get these images of perseverance because she's someone who, if you think about her throughout the trajectory of her career, she talked about the same thing for the entire time that she was writing And there's something about like those little tight little circles that just was like, you're not listening. You're not listening. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. Black women are here. Black women are here. You're not, you're not like, she just said the same thing over and over and over in a million beautiful ways, but it really was just like, we're here. There's also something about that pattern too, that reminds me of almost like just a tablecloth or something where I see her just sitting at a kitchen table, you know, like, (laughs) doing this every day, you know, it's like the people who do the thing every single day that don't get any, you know, acknowledgement or whatever. But then you look back on a 60 year career of it and you're just blown away by it. Like every single poem I ever read of hers, I'm just blown away. Yes. The depth of our commitment and her love of Black people. Because it is love. It always feels like a filling up. She's, oh, she's something. (laughs) She's, She's amazing. And you know who else is amazing? E Bond and Sarah Bond. Oh, <laughs> so 
So y'all, as we start to, as we wrap up, I want to ask you this question. I ask people this all the time. You know, the slogan of the Stitch Please podcast is we will help you get your stitch together. What would you offer? I'm going to ask both of you together to each share your answer to this question. Um, If someone wanted to come to you and say, how will I get my stitch together? What would you say? I would say do it every day. Yeah. And relax into it. That's a good answer. I love that answer. Now's your turn, E. I would just say, pay attention to all of the things that you do when no one else is watching. Because that's probably where all your joy is. And that's probably where all your curiosity is. And stop worrying about all the things that you're trying to do for other people. You just go to the things that you love. On that note, y'all, this has been amazing. Like I knew it would be. Thank you so much for this delightful and insightful and powerful conversation. And we will keep our eyes peeled for new fabric collections and exciting developments at QuiltCon 2023 and all of these things um, that we're really looking forward to. So thank you all both so much for being here. It's been amazing. Thanks for having us again. As always, a thrill. It really is. It's so much fun. You've been listening to the Stitch Please podcast, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. We appreciate you supporting us by listening to the podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us with questions, you can contact us at blackwomenstitch at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do that by supporting us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And you can find Black Women Stitch there in the Patreon directory. And for as little as $2 a month, you can help support the project with things like editing, transcripts, and other things to strengthen the podcast. And finally, if financial support is not something you can do right now, you can really, really help the podcast by rating it and reviewing it anywhere you listen to podcasts that allows you to review them. So I know that not all podcast directories or services allow for reviews, but for those who do, for those that have like a star rating or just ask for a few comments, if you could share those comments and say nice things about us at the Stitch Please podcast, that is incredibly helpful. Thank you so much. Come back next week and we'll help you get your stitch together. Thank you.